For thousands of years, we've been under the impression the Bible was meant to be taken seriously. Finally, a new translation that'll change all that. This is Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible! Yeah! Listen to that crowd! Oh my god, they're still going! Welcome to episode 18 of Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible with me, David Tuckman. We are coming to you from a gathering of the tribes in front of a live audience that's come from as far as Michigan, uh, Staten Island, Monticello to be here with you, the internet audience tonight. Each month, each month on the show, I flub at least one line and a guest joins me and tries to read as many chapters as possible of my own personal translation of the Old Testament from the original Hebrew, while I make fun of it. Today is Thursday, February 20th, 2014. That's what it is. I, I have, I'm so excited to have this guest on here. I've been wanting to book him, I think, for a year, so I'm happy to share him with you. As always, I want to remind people, you know, like us on Facebook. It helps get the word around, share things that I post on Facebook, because it's just me. It's facebook.com slash omgbible. Uh, the Twitter is twitter.com slash omgwtfbible. There's Tumblr, Stitcher. You can listen to us on YouTube or Stitcher or iTunes. But please, as always, rate and review us on iTunes, because that helps let people know this podcast exists. That's if you like it. If you don't like it, go home. Um, Afterwards, as always, there's going to be a bit of a discussion, so we're going to talk live with the audience. There'll be some back and forth, and we'll discuss what we've read. And the next episode, be sure to tune in, is at the Stannon Street Shul yet again with the rabbi there, Rabbi Uter, on March 20th at 8 p.m., so that's going to be really fun. That's all the housekeeping for tonight. Uh, the, uh, are you guys ready for your guest? Yeah. That's what I want to say. This guy um, is an internet celebrity... You might know him from trying to sell his uh, part in the Jewish world to come on eBay. You might know him from keeping Shabbat for a week for money. Uh, he refers to himself as an internet dickhead or a dickhead on Facebook. Please welcome Ari Mandel. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Ari, how are you tonight? I am fantastic. Um, you just went through a radical identity shift, I think. Did you not? It, it is radical. It, it scared me. It still scares me. I'm, you, I'm still not used to it. There was a time when you were not Ari. There was a time when you were Rahman al I am, I, am, I am now the, the artist formerly known as Rahman al <laughs> The Facebook dickhead formerly known as Rahman al That's right, exactly. Um, but... What what is what, what are we talking about? You were you had a fake name on Facebook, basically. Why? Well, in the world, originally I do not I, want people to know what you do on the internet. Be, I can't imagine why. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, I adopted a fake name at first because I just didn't want people hunting me down and giving me a hard time and busting my chops. Why would they do that? I I, I don't know. I I le- I grew up as a Hasidic Jew, an uh-huh. ultra orthodox Jew. Okay. Left, joined the army, and. Somewhere in 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 middle of my time in the army, Facebook became the thing, and I just I just sort of I was worried that people would look me up and give me a hard time and bust my balls, and I just didn't feel like it. So I adopted a <laughs> fake name, which I thought was cute and clever and ironic. Well, what does Rahman al-Islam mean? Rahman al-Islam is a an Aramaic term that translates to God forbid or heaven forbid, <laughs> and it's the term that people use when they see people like me. They're like, Oh my God, look what he did. <laughs> 
So it's like the appellation was just came from how people would react from exactly, you. exactly. They like see Bill me Cosby's and they God say, damn. "Right, oh, Rahman Lutzlan." Yeah. So I adopted that name, and then as I became, I you know got more notoriety. It be, it it sort of it built a life of its own, and so I became known as Rahman Lutzlan. So you you've got a lot of notoriety on the internet. How did you end up being an internet celebrity? That's a weird thing for somebody to do. A combination of my big mouth, mm-hmm. um, my lack of any sort of shame, and some stunts I've pulled. Um, You're something of an activist. In I, a way. I, you could say that. I think my 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 first and probably most uh, least. Im- not embarrassing, but most notable, <laughs> most important thing I did was I, I organized a protest against, um, there was a rally a year or so ago. Um, these Orthodox Jews were rallying against the internet. Right, by, and, and by spreading the word on the internet. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ironically so. Um, I, and I said, you know what, this is stupid. They're wasting all this time, money, and effort fighting the internet when they have real problems in their community. And so I said, screw you, I'm going to make a spectacle out of it. And so I did, and that got What'd uh, you do? worldwide attention. I uh, organized a counter-protest <laughs> outside of City Field. Which is where it was happening. Which is where it was, right? They had 40,000 people. We had about 300, but we were the ones who got most of the, the attention. <laughs> Lucky for them. So that's what, that's what sort of thrust me into the world's eye, you know, into, into world attention. So let's let's go back to your story a little bit. You grew up religious, but now you're not. You grew up in in a pretty restrictive Orthodox or Jewish community, right? I grew true? up, yeah, I grew up in in Muncie, which is sort of upstate ish from New York City, about yeah. I don't know what fifteen twenty miles up north. Um, very right wing, ultra Orthodox, Hasidic. The guys Already that look like more, by the way. Is what? <laughs> Farther. But yeah, very right-wing, uh, ultra-Orthodox. Right-wing. You know, the guys who look like the Amish with the beards and the hat and the long coats and all that. And everything was fine and dandy until I, like an idiot, I had to start reading books and asking <sighs> questions. And that was... That's and that was problem. Yeah, it was the beginning of the end. And, and, and the more questions I asked, the more problems I found and the more holes there were in this worldview of mine. And ultimately, it all collapsed and... One thing led to another, and here I am. Now you're here, yeah, holding the beautiful "Oh my God, what the fuck" Bible mug. That's right. Um, it's all led up to this. This moment. <laughs> my you entire may, you life. You knew that that mug was coming. That's sometime right. Down the line, it's, I love the mugs. It's all about the mug. <laughs> so, do you? I mean, I asked this of all my guests. Do you believe in God? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> Nothing further we have to do. I mean, <laughs> your witness. What? That's it. What I mean, what is your conception of God? Well, I was raised with a conception of God as this, you know, very anthropomorphized version, a very fairy tale old man in the sky with a white beard, um, but but not not you know unjustly so. If you yeah. if you study the Talmud, it goes on for pages and pages and pages about who God is and what he looks like and about his chair and about his guardian angels and about his, and all of that. Yeah. So yeah. the idea of God is very real and very concrete coming from where I come from. So that was what I was raised with. Um, I've come to understand that over time, the, this conception of God has slowly been watered down over time and down to where we have this new agey, fluffy idea of God because it's easier to evade questions when your God is anything you want it to be. Mm-hmm. But 
almost anything you name God, there is no way for you to prove that it exists. So I have seen no reason to believe in whatever you call God, unless it's a bottle of seltzer. And sure, that exists, but it doesn't have any powers. I think we all believe in seltzer. We can agree on that. That's right. Who doesn't? Um, so you, growing up in a very religious background, um, did you ever, I mean, have you read the entire Bible at any point in your life? Yes, okay. I have. But as this uh, project has taught me, um, there's reading the Bible and then there's reading the Bible. Yeah. Uh, the way we learned it and studied it, it's, we glossed over a lot of things and we polished up certain things and we read it the way we wanted to read it and we interpreted it the way we wanted to interpret it. So it's, there's, like I said, there's reading the Bible and there's reading the Bible. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think this has taught me in a lot of ways just how much I thought was in there and uh, wasn't or how much I did not know was in there. It's been very eye-opening for me to read this stuff. Yeah. And there's a lot of fun uh, commentary that I've learned along the way. I'm really excited for some of that stuff tonight. Anyway, what is your favorite, in all of your readings, what is your favorite story or character from well, this tome or collection of books? I would say the first, uh, not the, the first book, or is it the first two books? Or the first book and a half I are the most know. interesting. They're the human, the stories. Right. The rest of the, you know, God you snapped his finger and created Earth, or the rules and regulations, those get kind of boring. But right. the stories so are like interesting. So like Genesis to the first half of Exodus is pretty fun. That. There's some, yeah. <laughs> then once you start getting into the moral codes, it starts to, yeah. like, two different it's versions. Ancient, of it was outdated a thousand years how ago. How to build a tent in the desert. Right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> how much, how much you have to pay and so-and-so begot so-and-so. Ah, Narrative is important. I think we're, we're, we're just about to get into the Bible reading part of this show, but I want to ask you something, and this might be a little funny, uh, that I ask all my guests because most of my previous guests have been people who I knew from life. Um, anyway, what's your first memory of me? My first... <laughs> my first memory of you is doing what I often do, is scrolling through Twitter. Ah. And somebody retweeted you, one of the Jewish news uh, people I follow, and it said something about, oh, my God, what the fuck Bible? And I was like, ooh, I don't, mm, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Clicked on it, read it, listened to it, and I was hooked. And I've been hooked ever since. I said, this, this is the greatest thing in the world. I need to listen to it. I need to publicize it and help this guy out. So well, thank you. I mean, that, that's kind of what I was referring to. You're, you're, when I talked about you earlier, you're one of the first people who I met because of doing this show. This show led me to meet you and led me to, to, to form a lot of relationships that I'm excited about and very happy that came into my life. So that's, that's cool. I liked it. I, I listened to the show and I was like, this, this guy you. needs some publicity. He needs some help. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe I could look at a half full and see that I'm not doing a good enough job publicizing myself. Well, well maybe. no, this was early on. This was like the first right. couple of that's episodes. True, that's true. That's true. That's true. Um, Anyway, I think it's time to read the Bible. Are you guys ready for some Bible? Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. All right, setting the stage previously in the Bible. God created everything, including Yaakov and his angry brother, Esau. Esau had a bunch of kids. He liked Yosef the best, and the rest of his sons hated that, so they sold Yosef into slavery. And now we join our story, or a completely divergent piece of it, this is Torah, a loose translation, book one in the beginning, 
Uh, Genesis 38.1 to Genesis 38.30, if you're following along in you know, the normal boring chapterization. This is my chapter 39, in which God gets angry over the silliest things. <laughs> Meanwhile, Yehuda left his brothers and started hanging out with Hira, an Adulami man. That's how he met the daughter of Shua, a Kanani man. I like that we don't learn the name of his daughter, we just learn her father's name. Yehuda took the lady and made love on her. She got preggers and had a son, Er. She got knocked up again and had another son. His name was Onan. Oh, boy. Another pregnancy, another son. This one was called Shayla. She gave birth to Chziv. <laughs> Yehuda took a woman for Er, his firstborn. Her name was Tamar. Now, Er, Yehuda's firstborn, was evil according to Yehovah. So Yehovah killed him. Okay. Go fuck your brother's woman, Yehuda told Onan. Do your duty on her and make sure your brother's seed is sustained. That is weird. Um, this comes up again in the last book of the Torah, Deuteronomy, though that's not what I'm going to call it, but this is the Jewish leveret practice, also known as yibum. It is very weird. If an elder son dies without having kids, his wife and his next older brother or next oldest brother are obligated to marry. Any children they have are considered the children of the brother who is dead even though it's not his children. If the two kids don't want to get married, they perform a ceremony called chalitza, which involves untying shoes and spitting on the ground and still happens to this very day. But Onan knew that he spurted, if he spurted inside Tamar, the child would not be his. As discussed. So he came all over the floor so his seed would not belong to his dead brother. Hence the term Onanism. And this is completely serious. This is where it comes from. Interestingly, this, I think, is the first biblical description of the pull-out method of contraception. And Rashi, the medieval commentator, actually has a comment here. He uses a Talmudic euphemism to describe this method. It is from Yevamot 34b, or uh, if you want to look that up. And it goes, thresh on the inside, winnow on the outside. That's so beautiful, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I love that. Just leave you with that. Yeah. Anyway. Jehovah didn't like this, so he killed Onan. <laughs> Which is why we believe that God hates masturbation, even though he pulled it out. It's possible, I mean, Onan didn't jerk off. This is not masturbation. It's possible that God hates it when men come on the floor because it's fucking dirty. <laughs> you could use a tissue or come on Tamar. Rashi also thinks that uh, the reason Er was killed was because he also masturbated, because everyone masturbates. <laughs> but this, this, this is such, I hate this verse, because it's like, it was such a source of, of guilt and tension for me and probably every little Jewish boy who has ever existed. See, when we learned this stuff, they just gave us some silly euphemisms and never talked about it, but masturbation was hugely taboo. Oh, yeah. So they never connected this verse with don't touch yourself, ah. but it was very, very, very present. What basis did they have for it, if not the Bible? Uh, your pee-pee is scary and dirty? <laughs> it's, you know? I, I mean, it's scary, but it's not dirty. It's I don't, ew. It, it, yeah. I, I, yeah, I have awful memories associated with this where, like, a rabbi... We just had a special class one day just to tell us about how we shouldn't masturbate. And that's all we did for an entire day. And he was like, 
I have to talk to you about this because some people have been talking about it around school, and I was like, oh, fuck, that's me. <laughs> they know because of me, and now I realize they know because they know. That's what 13-year-old boys do. It's not my fault. See, my, my schools were never that explicit. I, I remember I was, I was 12. I had, I had left elementary school, and I was in yeshiva early, and I'm 12, and the, and the rabbi's, you know, fire and brimstone talking about... Kedusha Vitahara and, and you know all these euphemisms and I and I I elbow the guy next to me. What is what is he referring? What is that? What is he <laughs> saying? And the guy's like, "Oh, stop it! You know what he's talking. Oh, I don't. I don't. What's he talking about? You know." <laughs> and so you know, eventually I, I I figured it out on my own. But they Seeped they never in. were that explicit. But we were supposed to figure it out. <laughs> it's very Foucaultian. Yeah, very scary. Anyway, <laughs> so anyways. Yehovah didn't like this, so we killed Onan. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yehuda took Tamar, his bride, aside. So apparently the Hebrew word for bride and the Hebrew word for daughter-in-law are the same, which is very awkward. (laughs) Stay in your father's house as a widow until my son Shayla grows up, he said. That way he won't die like his brothers. Oh, God. The whole family can't stop masturbating. (laughs) Tamar left and lived in her father's house. Many days passed. Yehuda's woman, the daughter of Shua, died. Without us ever learning her name. Eventually, he got over it. He went on a trip to Timnah with his sheep shearer and Hira, his Adulami buddy. So you, you might recognize the name Timla, Timnah from my chapters 34 and 35. It's also the name of the mistress slash possible daughter of Eliphaz, one of Esau's sons. Timla is also the mother, sorry, Timna is also the mother of Amalek, and apparently she had a town named after her for some reason. Hey, someone said to Tamar, your father-in-law is coming to Timna to shear his sheep. She tossed off her widow's clothing and wrapped herself, covered her face with a veil. Tamar planted herself at a crossroads on the way to Timna because she saw that Shayla had grown and she didn't, and she hadn't been made his woman. Yehuda saw her but thought she was a whore because her face was covered. <laughs> He turned to her from the road. Please, let me do you, he said to Tamar. <laughs> he didn't know she was his daughter-in-law. Really? What will you give me for letting you do me, Tamar asked. I will send you a kid goat for my sheep, Oh, guys, he this, said. this does not work as a pickup line, I promise. <laughs> okay, Tamar said. If you give something as collateral to prove, you'll send it. What should I give you as a guarantee? Your signet ring and string and the staff that's in your hand. Staff in your hand, huh? Oh, <laughs> Yehuda gave it to her and, and also gave her the D. She got pregnant. Okay, so, like, learning lessons from the Bible. Don't have sex with a prostitute without protection. Because then they'll get pregnant and eventually birth the Messiah. <laughs> Tamar got up and left. She took off her veil and put her widow's clothes back on. Yehuda sent her a kid goat from his Adalami buddy so he could take the collateral back from her. But Hira didn't find her. Where's the prostitute who's hang- who hangs out by the crossroads? Hira asked the men of the area. Oh, translation note. The Hebrew word here for prostitute actually comes from the same root word as, or so the same root as the word used for holy, suggesting that prostitution was somehow sacred at this point, which is pretty cool. At the crossroads, they said, there... Never was a prostitute at the crossroads. We know where every prostitute is. (laughs) I couldn't find her, Hira said to Yehuda when he got back, and the men at the place told me there was no prostitute there. Okay, so Timna is basically Vegas, right? 
It's just this is where the pro- yeah that's the where they go are. to shear sheep and that, that's what the kids are calling it nowadays. Yeah. Let her keep them, Yehuda said. I don't want this to get embarrassing. I already sent her a kid goat and she and couldn't find her. Three months passed. Your daughter-in-law Tamar has been whoring around. Someone told Yehuda, and also she's pregnant from being a whore. Find her, Yehuda said. Burn her. Oh God, Yehuda sucks. Tamar, Tamar was found and sent to her father-in-law. These belong to the man who got me pregnant, she said. Do you recognize this signet ring and string or this staff? Yehuda recognized them. Especially the staff. She is more righteous than I am, Yehuda said. Yeah. This is all my fault. Mm-hmm. I didn't give her my son, Shayla. To my son, Shayla. Yehuda didn't fuck her again. So that's an interesting verse. According to Rashi, again, some people think that the Hebrew verse means Yehuda did not continue having sex Tamar, with Tamar. Some people think that it means he did not stop having sex with Tamar and kept sleeping with her. So, I, I, I'm, I'm guessing we don't get no means no from here because no. <laughs> it should have been clear, yes or no. Yeah. This very ambivalent verse. Yes. When Tamar went into labor, she had twins. While she was in labor, one of the babies stuck its hand out. The midwife tied a red string around it to indicate it was the first to emerge. But he pulled his hand back in and his brother came out first. What a crazy breach, someone said. So he was named Peretz. Uh, Which means breach. Afterwards, his brother came out. The one with the string on his hand. He was named Zerach. Which means uh, bright color, I think. Or like glowing. Yeah. Uh, glowing. Shemesh, glowing or shining. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. The sun shines. Right. Um, after every chapter at this point, I um, list the songs from Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat that were covered in this chapter. <laughs> I think this is basically like between songs or the intermission. I don't know. They didn't, I don't remember this from the play. Anyway, that's chapter 39. Thank you. Let's do, let's keep going. Let's keep going. We got another one. This is Genesis 39.1 to 39.6, chapter 40, in which Yosef sucks up to his new surrogate father. Remember, Yosef has been sold to Egypt and blah, blah, blah. Yosef went to Mitzrayim. Potiphar, one of Paro's eunuchs, and the captain of cooks brought Yosef from the Ishmaelis. So in addition to the fact that Potiphar uh, is tr- very often called like a, a courtesan or courtier of Pharaoh, he uh, is a eunuch of Pharaoh. That's the actual translation of the word. Um, most translations play with his occupation. Usually he's the captain of the guard or some other martial position. But um, this is a tradition. My, my translation comes from Rashi, so there's traditional basis for it. He says Potiphar was the captain of those who slaughtered animals for Pharaoh, so, or Paro. I call him the captain of the cooks. Cool. Yosef had Jehovah with him, so he was very successful. He stayed in his Mitzri master's house. Potiphar saw that Jehovah was with Yosef and was helping him succeed at everything he did. Potiphar liked Yosef. He made Yosef manager. Or Mr. Manager. Putting him in charge of his house and everything he had, it was all in Yosef's hand. From the second Potiphar put Yosef in charge of his estate, Jehovah blessed the Mitzri's house on Yosef's behalf. His Blessing pervaded everything in the house and the field. Potiphar put, in, put absolutely everything in Yosef's charge. Literally, the only thing Potiphar kept track of was his bread. So he's basically the idle rich. Awful. Anyway, <laughs> songs from Joseph and the Amazing Technical, the Dream Co. covered in this chapter. Um, I guess the beginning of Potiphar, but 
they kind of make his situation out to be a lot worse than it is. So none again. Chapter 40. Um, let's do Genesis 39, 7 to 39, 23. This is chapter 41, and the last one we're going to have time for tonight, in which Yosef navigates a very hostile workplace. Yosef was very handsome and had a smoking body. Just like his mother. <laughs> Seriously, listen to chapter 22. Potiphar's woman set her sights and her loins on Joseph. Probably because Potiphar was a eunuch, but that's just my theory. Do me, she said. Yosef refused. The thing is, he said to her, my boss doesn't know what I do. He puts me in charge of everything. Nobody in this house outranks me. The only thing he has denied me is you, his woman. Oh, so that means Yosef was totally getting it with every other woman in the house. How could I do this evil thing? He, how could I sin before God? So I went... So it went every day. She asked Yosef to sleep with her and be with her, and he was not hearing of it. Yosef has much better willpower than his brother Yehuda. <laughs> One day, he came home to his work, and there was not a single man in the house. Potiphar's woman grabbed Yosef by his clothes. Still no name for this woman. Fuck me, she said. Oh, my God. Yosef left his clothes and ran outside. When Potiphar's woman saw his clothes were in her hands, she chased him outside. See, she called out to all the men in the house. Potiphar brought his Hebrew man to here to mock us. He tried to sleep with me, and I cried out. When he heard me scream and shout, he left his clothes and ran outside. Potiphar's woman called Yosef's clothes, kept Yosef's clothes, and cl- and until Potiphar came home. That Hebrew slave you brought here came onto me, she told Potiphar. When I raised my voice and screamed, he left his clothes with me and ran outside. When Potiphar heard what his woman had to say about his slave, he was pissed. He told Yosef and threw him in, he took Yosef and threw him in the dungeon with the rest of the king's prisoners. Even there, Yosef, Jehovah was with Yosef. Where was Jehovah when the crazy horny lady was running around? He showed him, he showered him with kindness. Except for the whole being in prison thing. And made the captain of the clink like him. The, the clink captain put Yosef in charge of all the other prisoners, and everything done there went through Yosef. The captain of the clink didn't supervise anything Yosef was in charge of. Yehovah was with Yosef and helped him su- succeed at everything he did. Oh, God. So, like his brothers, the other prisoners must have hated Yosef. Songs from Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat covered in this chapter, Potiphar, and Close Every Door, though it sounds like Joseph's time in jail was much closer in the book than in the Broadway version. Thank you so much, Ari. That's chapter 41. My God, we're just flying through Genesis here. Um, so now comes the part of the show called the Devar Torah, or if you translate it absolutely literally, the Torah word. Can you sum up the three chapters, very disparate that we've read today in a single word, Ari. Oh, man. Uh, keep the snake in the cage? Oh, okay. one word. One word. Just a single word. I like that you brought up snakes, though. Chastity. Chastity. My word was semen. <laughs> <laughs> Prudish? How's that? Yeah. Partly because... Um, I remember, and I couldn't find this in the quick scan of commentaries that I did, but I remember growing up hearing some story, it might be a midrash, it might be some extraneous story, that in order to prove that Yosef actually did molest her, um, Potiphar's woman took egg white 
and spread it on her clothes to make it seem as though Yosef's semen was on her clothes, too. She, she, so there's a lot of bodily fluid in what we've read. Yeah, today. she could have pulled off the first, uh, you know, Clintonian uh, stain. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's where yeah. Monica got the idea. That's right. That was, Except hers was real. Right. Well, no, it was, um, you see, he, the thing about Bill Clinton that you don't know is he is a reptile and he lays eggs. So yes. she took... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the albumin from that egg and yeah, put it on her because that's yeah. why his DNA was in it. Um, the, the other thing is, and I keep coming back to this, women in the Bible are really scary. Like, <laughs> they're dangerous. They're very dangerous. Potiphar's woman, um, the, uh, like, Lot's daughters are both very rapey and that's... Yes. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I think it's, it's actually more disturbing to me than, like, a lot of the, like, really obvious... Um, sexist stuff, like the whole women are property thing, because that's just what the culture was. But there's like a lot of subtext here that women are predators, and you have to watch out for them. Right, the and, way and they what's, get the upper hand. One of the, the things story. that stuck out to me was the whore which I don't believe. Herself. I'm just saying this was what the men who wrote this may have thought. Not that that's a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> no. But but if you if you notice, the whore covers herself. Right. <laughs> so that means she was purely there to please him, be a piece of right. meat, and get in and get out. He could not see Tamar's face, and that's why he knew or thought she was a prostitute, presumably because prostitutes were covered at the time. Just pull, pull, the, pull the burka up a little bit enough. Their faces. And get out. Get in yeah. and get out. I do. Ha- I have an additional thought that I, I thought about recently. Um, I was thinking about, I compared the whole Onan thing or the way we're taught about prostitution or masturbation, prostitution, masturbation, same thing. The way we're taught about masturbation using the Onan story reminded me of um, the story of Eden, where, um, or Gan Eden, where the snake tells, or God or Jehovah tells Adam not to eat from the fruit. And Chava interprets it as you must not touch of the fruit of the tree of knowledge or life or death or you will die. And the snake uses that like additional layer of um, of stricture or of like banning in order to convince her to actually eat because she reaches out, touches the tree, and she doesn't die. And then she's like, okay, I guess I can eat now. And that's what leads her to eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge of life and death. Similarly, when people use this to say, I mean, it, basically in the story, if you say they're masturbating, every single one gets killed by God because they masturbated. And what gets communicated to little Jewish boys is that if you masturbate, God will kill you. And when that doesn't happen, you're probably not communicating a great message to little, little boys and or yeah, damage them. kind of setting them up for failure. It's kind of like you're just, they're just, I had a lot of scary experiences where it was like, oh, I'm going to die. God's going to kill me at some point. And Never happened. And notice Just poking holes in God by doing yeah. that. Yeah, when you when you build it up to such a level, and and then you notice that well that didn't come true, or right, I touched myself and I didn't die, or I ate Hagen Dazs and lightning <laughs> didn't strike. Wait, Hagen Dazs isn't kosher. Hagen Dazs is treif. What? It's almost as bad no. as bacon. Wait, or is it not Chalav Yisrael? It's not Chalav Yisrael. Okay, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you crazy you muncy well people on Chalav Yisrael. Yeah. Because I grew up eating Hagen Dazs. Uh, my father's <laughs> but go-to I was a, example of I was an Apicorus modern orthodox. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you might as well have been a guy. Yeah. <laughs> but notice, by the way, the Bible doesn't say what fruit that forbidden no, fruit No, no, we have no idea. Could have been a penis. It could have been a penis. <laughs> could have been a penis. <laughs> I don't think it was a penis. Anyway, 
Um, everyone who's here, I hope you stay after for a little conversation. Um, I'm going to write down what you're going to say, but while I do, do you have anything you want to plug uh, that our audience might check out? The many things you've got going on the internet. We didn't talk about footsteps. There's so many things that you do. For myself, just find me on Facebook. Anything I ever do, that is the first place I post it. So facebook.com slash R-A-C-H-M-U-N-A. Facebook.com slash R-A-C-H-M-U-N-A. That's it. Ari Mandel. Google me. Ari Mandel. Footsteps is a very worthy uh, organization worth naming. Um, They help people like myself and others who leave the ultra-Orthodox world, help them get an education, help them acclimate. Which is very important. Yes, very important. So look them up, too. Footstepsorg.org. Footsteps, like the word or the two words, footstepsorg, O-R-G. No space. No space. Footstepsorg.org. Facebook.com slash R-A-C-H-M-U-N-A. Yeah. Awesome. As I said before, you can listen to the podcast everywhere. Just put in your phone and listen to it. Go to iTunes Store and look for it, and you can find it. I don't have as much verb to say because I already said it. Um, Leave us a review, please. I'm just going to say it again. Share it with everyone you possibly can. A review takes about five minutes to leave, and it counteracts all those, um, you know, super religious jerks who leave me one-star reviews because they're crazy. Um, I want to thank tonight Steve Cannon for letting us or for hosting us here at a gathering of tribes. He is great. Let Steve hear your applause. I want to thank our audio engineer John Passaro over there, Wendy Chin for making the marketing materials, Ari Mandel for being my guest, our live audience, you for listening. Please join us for episode 19 with Rabbi Josh Uter at the Standon Street Shul on March 20th at 8 p.m. Because next month, in the Bible, Yosef practices unlicensed therapy. (laughs) 